You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, turn over with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to continue our study on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, and um, I'm going to read uh, and get us caught up, and we're going to jump in at verse 13 as far as uh, our lesson is concerned, but let's read verses 1 through 13, and of course, the deeper we get into this, it's all of chapters 5, 6, and 7. I won't read it every night, every Wednesday night, but Uh, just to review what we covered so far. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, and let me just say this. uh, Again, we've talked about this, but the the Sermon on the Mount takes place after Jesus' ministry gets launched, and uh, then he he chooses his disciples, and then after he chooses them, they gather together, and he takes them up onto uh, they call it a mountain, but it's really a big hill compared to the mountains that we have here. But um, he gathers them together. So he's taking some time to teach his new disciples about ministry, about himself, about his character, and those types of things. So let's begin at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, he said, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And um, so we said last week that verses 3 through uh, 9 and 10 are basically a uh, Jesus is giving us a, a broad view as to what it's like to get born again. And then as we grow and mature and develop in the things of God. And uh, so then at verse 13, he says this, he said, you are the salt of the earth. And we said last week that that word earth there is the Greek words, two letters, G-E. It's where we get uh, the phrase geology from. And so he said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And then he, verse 14, he, he says, you are the light of the world. Now that Greek word there for world is cosmos. It's different than the earth. And uh, so what the world cos- a word cosmos means is the world's system, the world's order. Now, I, I want to bring some clarity and just say this, and I'm going to explain it a little more in just a minute, but the physical planet Earth belongs to God, okay? It is still God's property, but the world system, the cosmos, does not belong to God. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, Paul said that that Satan is the God of this world, little g, and he is the one that rules and reigns over this world system, okay? So um, just wanted you to understand the difference between those two. He says, uh, again, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, again, verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So Christians, born-again believers, are the light for the world. Now, this world system is bound in darkness. It functions in darkness. 
you know, anything that is of the devil is 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 full of oh. darkness, full of uh, lies. Jesus said he is the father of lies. There's no truth in him. So anything associated with that world system is dark. But Jesus said that we believers are the light of the world. And so the word light there is not talking about a physical light. It's talking about the light of the word of God. We are the sources of the light of the word of God that is to shine in this world full of darkness. You know, I know uh, somebody might say, well, you know, no, Jesus is the light. No, he needs people to work through. Jesus is not here. He is not physically walking the planet. We are the body of Christ, and we are the outworking of, of the plan of God in the earth at this moment. And so it is our responsibility to uh, let the gospel, let the word of God flow through us to this dark world. And so um, how do we spread the word of God? Well, we spread it by the words that we speak and by our lifestyle. The way we live and the way that we speak is what God will use to demonstrate and to be uh, the light of the Word of God in a lost and dark world. Now, what you need to understand is is that, uh, you know, and this is an awesome responsibility if you think about it, but you and I might be the only gospel that some people ever see or experience. Now, that being said, uh, you know, I, I'm not implying that you and I should become obnoxious with the gospel and that we beat people up with the word of God. But as the spirit leads us and guides us, um, God wants us to minister to people, to love people, to minister the gospel to them and to be that light. Now, the reason I said that as the spirit of God leads, you know, God has to, by the spirit, prepare the hearts of people. Uh, a lot of times when we um, try and beat people up with the word out of turn, um, you know, we turn them off to the gospel. We turn them away from uh, a hunger for God. But when we let the Holy Spirit lead and guide us as we minister to people, um, he knows exactly where their heart is and what they are ready to receive. And if we'll just be led by him, we can be the ones that will minister life to them, minister the word to them, and it will be exactly what they need at this moment. Now, let me explain to you. Let me go back and talk about the, the GE, the GE, and the cosmos again. And let me kind of explain this to you um, in terms that we all can understand. When God created the earth, as we talked about Sunday, he turned the, the earth and the world system, which was his system at that time, over to Adam, and it's under his control. So let's imagine that somebody built a house for you and then gave that house to you and said, okay, this house is yours. It is under your control. It's under your authority. And, uh, you know, whatever you choose to do with it, the decision is yours but I do have some guidelines that I want you to function under and operate under. And that's exactly what God did with Adam. But then because of the temptation and the sin of Adam, what Adam did is he sublet, he leased this world or the earth rather to under Satan's control. So Satan then had authority to bring in the world system as you and I know it, that as, as we said, is full of darkness and so forth. And so it would be as though you were the landlord, but now your home has been sublet to a bad tenant. And, uh, you know, legally speaking, although you have the power and the ability to come in and kick that tenant out, legally speaking, you cannot do it. And there is a process that has to take place in order to kick that um, tenant that's tearing stuff up, doesn't pay their rent and all of that type of thing. So you have to go through that process. And so when we say, and we make references, and I mean, we ministers make references and we teach about Satan's lease in the earth, that's what we're referring to. The earth belongs to God. The physical planet 
but Satan has a lease on it that was given to him by Adam. And so because Adam turned that over to him, all that dominion and all that authority went to him. And so God legally cannot just step in right now and kick uh, Satan out. Now, there is coming a day when he will, when that lease comes to an end, when that dispensation, that lease period comes to an end, then God will remove Satan from being in, in lordship, if you will, over the, the world, okay? And uh, thank God you and I will have a hand in that one day. But I wanted to kind of break that down for you so you can understand how Satan came to be the God of this world. Let me say it to you this way. Adam was created to be the God of this world, little g, uh, you know, under the lordship of the heavenly father, and he turned it over to Satan. Satan, therefore, became the God of this world. But there is coming a time in, in the probably nearer future than we really think that that lease is going to come to an end. And when it does, uh, Satan will be kicked out. God will renovate the earth, and then we will live with the Lord here in the earth. So Satan is just a bad tenant that God is waiting for that lease to expire so that he can kick him out legally, all right? Now, let's look at verse 15 in Matthew chapter 5. It says, uh, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, you know, I, I, I say to you all the time, and I want you to remember, Jesus never did random. Everything he said was very carefully thought out. So notice where your light is supposed to shine first is in your own house, okay? In other words, if you focus all of your attention on letting your light shine to a lost and dying world, but you are not walking out that light in your own home, then you're diminishing what your light can do in public. So Jesus was very careful to say, let your light shine in your own house first. And then in verse 16, he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, another way of saying it is make sure that your public testimony is an outworking of your private testimony, okay? In other words, let what people see on the outside be an outworking of what goes on in your life behind closed doors, all right? So let's go on. He said, uh, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, let me read through verse 21, and then we'll go back and we'll break this down. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever teaches does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So, again, I want to remind you, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at right now was not to the multitudes, it was to his disciples. Okay, so uh, look at verse 17. Jesus said this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, as I have taught you before, when you're studying the Old Testament, always in everything that you're looking at, look for Jesus. Now, that word fulfill there that Jesus used means I came to bring it to pass. And if you know, as we've studied the Word of God, you can find Jesus in the book of Genesis in chapter 3, Right after Adam's sin, God begins to talk about the one who is coming, who will 
uh, bruise or, or, you know, step on Satan's head and Satan will bruise his heel and so forth and so on. So all throughout the Old Testament is a picture being painted of the Redeemer, of the Lord Jesus that is to come. So Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm not coming to do away with the Old Testament. I'm not coming to do away with the law and the commandments and the prophets. I have come to bring it all to pass. So Jesus is and was the fulfillment of everything that we read in the Old Testament, okay? Um, let me say it to you this way. Only the one, now this is what's cool about the Lord, only the one who wrote the law and that the law spoke of could fulfill it. And Jesus, in his uh, earthly manifestations prior to the New Testament, is the one that revealed to Moses the law and the prophets, and, and of course used the prophets to minister, but only the one who wrote the law and spoke the law and and it was the law was written about is the only one that could ever fulfill the law. So Jesus is the only one who was qualified to fulfill the law. So the law was fulfilled, and it's very important that we understand this, it was fulfilled, not done away with. So that being said, the principles of the Old Testament, the principles of the law are still applicable today in the sense of if something was wrong under the Old Covenant, it's still wrong under the New Covenant, okay? But the, the way that it was fulfilled was that instead of us having to go and sacrifice a lamb, you know, here in a few weeks at the Passover time, you know, we don't have to get on a plane, go over to the Holy Land and offer a sacrifice and sacrifice a lamb. No, Jesus became that lamb. So that part of the, the process, that part of the law was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus in that he completed it and brought it to pass. But as far as the principles taught under the Old Testament, those things are still uh, true for us today. You know, if uh, adultery was wrong under the Old Covenant, and it's wrong today. Stealing is wrong under the Old Covenant, and it's wrong today. Um, you know, all those things that were wrong under the Old Testament are still wrong today, but again, it's the processes to get to God that were fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says in verse 18, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, what's interesting about that phrase is that means nothing to us outside of the Jewish culture and with very little understanding about Hebrew. When Jesus mentioned, and he used the phrase, one jot or one tittle, that is very important. A jot and a tittle were referenced to the smallest letters in the, the Hebrew language, okay? So what Jesus is saying to us here is this. Make sure uh, it would be like what we say in our English language, dotting every I and crossing every T, okay? Now, here's what Jesus wants us to focus on. Notice I said that those are the smallest letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So Jesus starts off, and early in this sermon, begins to get his disciples to focus on the small things that may seem to be insignificant, but are very important to God and need to be fulfilled and need to be obeyed. Now, Religion, even in Jesus' day, had already started categorizing sin. You know, there were big sins and there were little sins. There were sins that the religious leaders made a big deal about, and there were sins that they didn't make a big deal about. And what this is so, so flies in the face of religion in that day when Jesus said, Hey, guys, listen, it's the small things that make all the difference in the world. And he said, he was basically telling them, listen, it's the small things that God pays attention to. 
So what, what Jesus begins to do in this sermon is he begins to break down what the small things are, okay? And let me break it down to you this way. He breaks it down and says this, essentially, and you'll see this as we get into it, that it is sins of the thoughts and intents of the heart and sins of the tongue, all right? Those, in God's eyes, are the most important. Can I say it to you this way? And you're going to see this emphasized throughout this sermon, through Jesus' sermon. Your heart and your heart condition and what's going on in your heart is the most important thing to God. You know, we we, we know this verse, but, you know, back, you remember when Samuel was anointing David as king and, you know, he was being impressed by all of David's brothers and so forth. And the Lord spoke to him and said, hey, look, don't be moved by what they look like. I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And if we as believers can ever fully get that revelation that God, yes, he's interested in our behavior, but he's more interested in your heart condition, because here's what why that's important. It's your heart condition, the intent of your heart that determines your behavior. It's the heart. It's what's going on in your heart that determines the words that come out of your mouth. It's what is going on in your heart that is ultimately what shapes your your life. You remember back in Proverbs, um, in Proverbs chapter four, Solomon wrote, and he said this, he said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the outworkings of your life. So our heart condition, what is going on in our hearts, is the most important thing to God. Now, I want to say this to you. Understand this. You can be born again, and your spirit be born again, but your heart be wrong. Okay? And that is very important for us to understand. Um, you know, and again, I've quoted this to you, but, you know, there's all kinds of scriptures in the New Testament that make reference to this in the sense of, you remember Peter, he wrote and he told the people, he said, love one another out of a pure heart. Mm-hmm. Now, see, it, you would think, well, you know, he's he's not writing to Christians. No, he's 100% writing to believers who are born again. And he's telling them, keep your heart pure. What is he talking about? Well, love one another out of a pure heart motivation. Okay. Don't love people because you think there's something that they can give to you. You don't love people because you think there is some benefit for you in loving them. No, love them because God says to love them and that's it. Okay. So I, I want to make sure that we understand that because you're going to see that come up in this sermon on the Mount a whole lot, okay? Now, look at verse 19. Uh, it says this, Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teacheth men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, again, it's the small things that God's paying attention to. So let's say as a pastor, I teach you all, okay, hey, listen, guys, these are the things that you need to be doing. And I'm teaching you to do it, but I don't practice it myself. Hmm. Jesus said, I'm going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, pay attention to the small things and do them as well. Okay, be aware of them. All right. So go over with me to Proverbs chapter six. And and I want to just show you something in Proverbs chapter six. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago in talking about pride in in, uh, in the series on an excellent spirit. But in Proverbs chapter six and verse 16, I want to show you something. Proverbs chapter six. Verse 16, now these are seven things, and I want you to pay attention. Notice it says these are seven things the Lord hates. 
It's not that he dislikes them a little bit. He absolutely despises and hates these things. So he says, yes, uh, seven are an abomination to him. Now notice what, what goes on here. Number one, verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Mm-hmm. Now, again, as I shared with you during that previous series, the, the key is found in verse 17, arrogance and pride. All of these other things are an outworking of an arrogant and proud heart. But here's the mm-hmm. other thing that I want you to see is the majority of these things start in the heart. They don't start as an outward behavior. They don't start as an outward manifestation. You know, the only one that really is manifested in the outward is hands that shed innocent blood. But, you know, a lying tongue, if a person is a liar, the only reason they're a liar is because they're a liar in their heart. If, uh, If a person devises wicked plans, you know, somebody that sits around and gets creative with their wickedness, That is Mm. an issue. That is something that is going on in their heart. And Mm. so a false witness is an outworking of a a heart attitude. And one who sows discord among the brethren, that's an outworking of a heart attitude. So again, all of these things, with the exception of one, and really that one is too, is an outworking of what is going on in someone's heart. So Mm. all sins start from a place of arrogance, okay? But it's really all based in a heart attitude. Okay, so go back with me to Matthew chapter five. Mm-hmm. Now, why is you know looking at that last one there in Proverbs six, where he's where God, it says God hates someone who sows discord in a family. Why do you think God hates someone who sows discord? Mm-hmm. Just a little side note. Any ideas? Mm-hmm. They're bringing division in the family. Absolutely. Now, they're bringing division into a family or a church or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Why does that, why is that such an abomination to the Lord? What is God all about? Love. Love, Love and family. unity. Yeah. Unity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jesus died so that we could be unified in his body. And this that someone who sows discord and tries to disrupt that, that flies in the face of the very heart and nature of God. Okay? You know, all throughout the Bible, we're taught, hey, there is power in agreement. There is power in unity. God can manifest himself in an environment where there's unity. And so when someone is sowing discord, they're, they're, you know, hindering what God can do in and among a group of people. So that's why God hates that so much, okay? So look at Matthew 5, verse 19. Again, whoever teaches or therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever te- does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven, okay? So, Again, the small things that Jesus is referring to here are the commandments that deal or dealt with sins of the heart, okay? God wants us to deal with the sins of the heart first, all right? That is so important, okay? Now, look at verse 20. For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's a very serious statement there. So what is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? What is he referring to when he's saying that? All right, put your little ribbon there in Matthew 5, and let's go over to Matthew 23 and see what he is talking about here. You know, why? you ever asked yourself the question, why Jesus had such a hard time with the religious leaders. I mean, why he, you know, why couldn't he just get along with everybody? Well, there was a reason. All right. And uh, let's look at it here. Matthew chapter 23. 
at verse 1. This is another uh, message that Jesus spoke. It says, verse 1, Matthew 23, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they sit in a place given to them by the law. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. Here's what it is. For they say and do not do. He goes on to explain. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Now let's stop right there. Let's talk about that for a second. God's heart is to set people free. Now let mm -hmm. me ask you a question. Do you think God set the people free from the bondage of Egypt, brought them out of slavery in Egypt so that he could march them out into the desert and put a lot, lot of rules and regulations on their life to put them back in bondage again? No, not at all. All those rules and regulations that God gave them were principles that he wanted them to live their lives by so that they could remain free, so that they could live free lives. And so what got Jesus so upset at these religious leaders is they had gone full circle and come back around and were placing the burden of these rules and commandments and regulations on people. And, and it was impossible for the people to live and to fulfill and to be able to be free under the burden and the bondage that these religious leaders were placing on them. And notice what he says, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In other words, they were telling the people, hey, this is how you got to live. You got to be perfect before God. And so the people, I'm just using this as an example. So the people would say, okay, show me how. And the religious leaders wouldn't even do anything to show them how to live. Jesus mm -hmm. goes on to say, uh, verse five, but all their works that they do were meant to, uh, were to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of the garments. A phylactery, this would be kind of interesting to you. If you, you could Google it, but if you'll uh, look, there are Orthodox Jews today. Sometimes if you ever see the Orthodox Jews, and when I, uh, there are Orthodox Jews that wear all the black, they have the flat brim hat. A lot of times you'll see them with the little braids coming down by the side of their faces and things like mm -hmm. that. If you a lot of times you will see them praying at the Wailing Wall there in Jerusalem, even today, and they will have a little black box about two inches square attached to their forehead as they're praying. And in that box is a tiny little scroll that has the commandments written on it. And they believe that if they put that, on their head, that somehow it makes them closer to God, okay? <laughs> it would be like us saying, and, and I'm not trying to be critical of, of the Orthodox Jews, but it's like us saying, I have a Bible on my nightstand, and because I have a Bible on my nightstand, it makes me right with God, mm. okay? No, it doesn't. What's important is that Bible that's on my nightstand that is getting into my heart. What is important is the scrolls that I'm reading, just because I have it strapped to my forehead, means nothing if it's not getting into my heart, okay? The Word does nothing for you unless it is getting down into your heart. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, they make their phylacteries broad, and they enlarge the borders of their garments in order to impress people. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. Okay, so that's, that is what they are all about and what they are all after. Now drop down to verse 13 in Matthew 23, and Jesus said this, but woe to you. Now he turns and he's talking to these religious leaders. 
He said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. In other words, you make it so difficult for people to get into the kingdom of heaven, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Man, what a terrible place it would be for me as a pastor to stand before Jesus, the head of the church one day, and him say to me, you know what? You In your, all of your ministry, you made it difficult, harder for people to get saved and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You made it so difficult for them that there's no way that they could have been saved. Man, what a terrible place to be in. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling these religious leaders. Hey, you're keeping people out of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 14, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Now, here's what the, the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day would do is they would enforce little pieces of the law that would benefit them. In other words, they would go and they would find widows and take advantage of those widows and get their property and their finances and basically steal from them in order to uh, fill their own pockets. And then Jesus said, but yet you turn right around and go and stand in the synagogue and make long prayers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. And then drop mm -hmm. down to verse 25. I'm telling you, he was he was real with them and in their face, calling them out. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Again, heart attitudes, okay? Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, your heart, that the outside of them may be clean also. Can I say this to you? Even for us, um, you're going to find it difficult to live a godly life without being born again first. Mm -hmm. In other words, living a godly life is supposed to be an outworking of something that has taken place on the inside of you. And that's what Jesus is calling these religious leaders out. He said, listen, you know, you don't even bother with the heart, you know, and so because of that, uh, you know, the outside of you is filthy too. He goes on to say, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, I read all of that to you so you could understand. Now, go back to Matthew chapter 5. So you could understand when Jesus made a reference and he said in verse 19, um, or excuse me, verse 20, but I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, okay, and I'm going to say it to you this way. Um, the scribes and Pharisees lowered the bar so much, okay, that what Jesus is saying is, listen, through me, it shouldn't be too hard for you to have more righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees. Okay. All right. Now, verse 21, you have said, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now, the old King James translates that this way. You have heard it said of those of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be in danger of the judgment. That is a mistranslation, and I'm going to prove it to you from the word, but actually what, what God is against is those who commit murder. Now, what is the difference, okay? Well, 
to commit murder, according to the biblical standard, means you take the life of an innocent person. All right? Now, uh, back up with me. Put your little marker there in, in Matthew chapter 5 and go back with me to Ecclesiastes. Okay? Ecclesiastes is right after uh, Proverbs. And I want you to look at chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, I want you to pay attention to this, okay? Because if, if people are teaching the law and the law says you shall not kill, then what we're getting ready to read is in conflict with that. Verse 1, Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. All right? So Solomon tells us, writing by the Holy Spirit, that there is a time to kill. And there is a time to kill, and it is righteous. But murder is never allowed. Now, Proverbs tells us that murder, uh, you know, we read that in Proverbs 6, that it defines murder as hands that shed innocent blood. Okay, <laughs> so God is never for murder, but listen to me. There are going to be times when God signs off on killing. All right, let me show you a couple of examples. Um, you know, and let's talk about capital punishment for just a minute, okay? Because I know there's some people, you know, that think that God is not for capital punishment. Well, Genesis chapter, just make a note of these verses, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, this is right after uh, knowing his family come out of the ark, okay, God establishes a principle, and he says this, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands, for God made human beings in his own image, okay? Mm -hmm. So capital punishment, taking the life of someone who murders is scriptural, now, I know there's a lot of Christians that would argue with me on that, okay? But let's continue looking, okay? Romans chapter 13. Go over with me to Romans chapter 13. I can remember, while you're turning there, I'll tell you this little story. I think this was in early 2002. I, I wasn't senior pastor yet, but I was preaching one Sunday, and this was, you know, not long after 9-11. And, of course, we had by that time found out that it was al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden that orchestrated 9-11. And I remember praying one day at the close of a service about, and my, my message was on uh, civil responsibility. In other words, I was teaching about some of these things. And so I remember uh, saying this, that my prayer is that Osama bin Laden will be captured or killed for the crimes that he committed. And I remember these two ladies in the service, the moment I said that, they grabbed their Bibles, their purses, and uh, jumped up and walked out of the service. And so one of the ushers, you know, uh, followed them and asked them, was, was there something wrong? And they had a problem with what I just said because they did not believe um, that what I said was appropriate or right in the sense of, well, you know, God loves Osama bin Laden. Why can't I pray for him to be saved? Well, I, I, I could pray that. But the thing that you have to understand is that there are times when people become so evil, they're mm. beyond salvation. Mm. Okay. Uh, and it's a very sobering thought to think that, okay? Let me go, you're there in Romans 13. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Romans 13. Now, this is New Testament. 
Paul said this, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, I have to qualify this and say what he's talking about are the positions of authority. There are bad people that get in positions of authority, but those roles, those authoritative positions are ordained by God, okay? So therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to evil. So in other words, it's evil people that need to be afraid of these, these folks. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is, he, the person and authority, is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. Now look at what he says in verse four. For he does not bear, he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Okay. Now let me go further. And um, let's go over to Revelation, the 19th chapter please. Towards the end of the Bible there, Revelation chapter 19. And I want you to look at verse 11. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, John the Apostle, <laughs> recording what he saw, said this, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Now, who is he talking about? Who's he talking about, y'all? Jesus. Who's coming on a white horse Jesus. one day? Jesus, right. Who is called mm -hmm. faithful and true? Jesus. Okay. But notice what it says. He who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Mm -hmm. See, sometimes we think, you know, God is all about peace and flowers and, you know, birds singing and everybody getting along and all of that type of thing. Well, he is to a degree. But what I want you to understand is that, that there is coming a day and, and, you know, it would do us good to, you know, study some of these things but there is coming a day, y'all, when the Antichrist is going to rally millions of people to his side for mm -hmm. the sole purpose of trying to overcome the Lord Jesus and overcome the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to this moment right here. And it says that, um, you know, that he is going to bring and wage a righteous war. Now, let me show you how graphic that righteous war is going to be. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, and by the way, we will be returning with him, that we will wage war against the Antichrist and his forces, and the blood that will be spilled in the Valley of Megiddo will be deep enough to be to a horse's bridle, the Bible says. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of bloodshed. And the mm -hmm. Bible says that the um, bodies that will be left there will feed the fowls of the air for months. Mm -hmm. Now that's serious, okay? Mm -hmm. But here's what I want you to see is that there is a time when Sin is judged, and people have to pay the price. That's why, you know, and, and um, I'll just say this, you know, in the Old Testament, that there would be, uh, you know, a, a city or a village that the children of Israel would approach, and God would give them specific instructions. I want you to go in, and I want you to kill every man, woman, boy, girl, every mm -hmm. animal, everything that is in there and and take none of the spoils left from that victory okay mm -hmm. 
a, a couple of the times when the children of Israel got themselves in the most trouble with the Lord is when they didn't obey that command. And that sounds hard. That sounds like God is mad and mean and all of that. But let me explain to you where he's coming from and giving them those instructions. There is a scripture that says where he's dealing with Abraham, and he lists a number of people, Gentile people, and he said, do not bother them for the iniquity, their iniquity is not yet full. And what that means is that God deals with people and deals, and I'm talking about large groups of people, he deals with people and deals with people and ministers to them and deals with them to try and bring them to a place of repentance. But mm. it comes to a point where the people blatantly turn their backs on God and become so wicked and so mm. evil and so depraved. And if you'll mm. go back and do a little research, a lot of these people that the children of Israel were told to destroy were people that were so involved in um, sexual perversion. They were mm. sacrificing their own children, burning them alive, putting their children in fire and burning them alive. And their hearts had become so depraved. And mm. so here's what God knew. He knew if, if that the children of Israel did not destroy these people, that they would go in and commingle with these people, and two things would happen. Number one, the sin would become a part of the children of Israel, and not only that, you know, you I mean, common sense will tell you when there is sexual perversion going on to that degree, you know every kind of disease known and unknown to mankind at the time was running rampant through those people. Well, that would open the door to that disease and sickness to be able to come into the children of Israel. Well, somebody might say, well, well, Pastor, I just don't understand how God could say, uh, you know, kill the children. Well, let me tell you something and explain to you. That may sound hard, but that part of it is actually a huge act of mercy. Here's why. Children before the age of accountability that die go to heaven. And what God knew is if he allowed these children to grow up, they would become just like their parents and just like the adults in that in that those people, in that group of people. So really, it was an act of mercy to bring them to heaven instead of allowing them to grow up in that depravity and, and become like those people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I know that's a hard thing for us to understand. But it is, you know, you always have to look for the goodness and the mercy of God in those situations and what God was instructing them to do. All right. Now, why am I saying all this to you? Go back to Matthew chapter five and let's begin to wrap this up. So he says, you have heard that it was said, verse 21, Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Okay? Now, let's go on, and let's break this down. But I say to you, so I'm getting ready to say something different than what the law says here, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, and I'll explain that in just a second, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, what did I tell you at the beginning of this lesson tonight was what Jesus was mostly focused on was what? Things. The attitudes, the little mm -hmm. things, the oh, attitudes no. of their heart. So here's what Jesus is saying, and I'll, I'll get into detail into this next week. But here's what Jesus is saying. You have heard it said that, uh, you know, if, if you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I am telling you, this is what Jesus is saying, but I am telling you, whoever hates his brother or hates his neighbor or hates someone else 
is guilty, just as guilty of the person who commits murder. In other words, let's bring it all the way back down to the heart condition and to the heart. Here's what he's saying. The heart attitude of someone who hates someone else is no different than the heart attitude of the person who commits murder. Wow. Hmm. That is something else right there. Okay. Now he goes on in this same sermon and we'll read it later on, uh, you know, in, in lessons to come. But you remember where he said that he who looks after a woman to commit adultery with her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Why? Because mm -hmm. it's a heart thing, y'all. It's mm. all about the heart. And that's mm. what Jesus is wanting these disciples to focus in on and pay attention to, not only for their own selves so that they can guard and, and protect their own hearts, but understand in dealing with people, it's about heart attitudes. Okay. Mm. And so, uh, we're, we're beginning to, to jump into this and, and really get into it. Let me, um, let me explain quickly, because I think I can do this in about two or three minutes. Look at verse 22 again. But I say mm -hmm. to you that whoever is angry with, angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Raka is like, um, it actually translates, you're worthless. You are good for nothing. But in Jesus' day, it is equivalent, calling somebody that would be equivalent to you in a public place yelling. Let's say you're in a restaurant and you yelling at the top of your lungs and cussing someone out. Hmm. Guess what? They can have you arrested and, and the police show up for um, slander and all those types of things. They can sue you for slander and, and all of that. And that's what Jesus said when he said, whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. In other words, if, if you're going to open your mouth and say things like that, then don't be surprised if you end up in court. That's what he's saying. But then he goes on to say, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, you know, we talk about being foolish and all that type of stuff. L let me Let me translate what Jesus is saying. All right. Jesus, when when he said, you fool, what he's saying is you uh, it translates to this. You, you dull, stupid, heedless, morally corrupt person. OK, in other words, when you call somebody a fool based on the, the translation of what Jesus is saying here, you're judging them acting like you know what their condition, their heart condition is and their spiritual condition is, okay? Mm. The reason this is so dangerous in God's eyes is, listen, because you're assuming a position of spiritual superiority over someone else by calling them and, and calling them out and judging them uh, of what you think their heart attitude is. And I, I'll be honest with you. None of us know what really is going on in someone's heart. Only God knows that. And for me to stand up and judge you because of what I think is going on in your heart, that's very, very dangerous. God doesn't think too highly of that type of thing. And so that's why he said, whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire or the fire of judgment is what he's saying. In other words, Jesus is, is telling his disciples this, listen. And this is summarizing what we've covered in these first uh, 22 verses here. Guys, mm -hmm. listen, it's your heart attitude that is the most important. And it's the little things that we deal with within our hearts that God is focused on and you need to be focused on. And, and, and basically, he brings it all down to, listen, be careful. Do not allow yourself to get into a position to where you start judging other people because you just like um, nobody else knows what's going on in your heart. You don't know what's going on in somebody else's heart. Leave that up to God. Okay. All right. Now, 
So can I sum summarize it with three words? Here's three words. If you if you don't get anything out of this lesson tonight, get these three words. Check your heart. Mm -hmm. Okay? And we all need to do that on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Check your heart. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.